Welcome, everyone, to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips, too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast. Our listeners on our FM station in New York and our listeners on our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. We have an outstanding show today. So let's get this great show started. Hi, everyone. I would like to welcome John Rafa to Food Farms and Chefs. He is one of the co-owners of 1911, which is in East Passionk Ave in Philadelphia. Um, John, thank you for joining us on, on Food Farms and Chefs. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's always nice to get a little bit of attention. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's always nice to be, uh, you know, be noticed, especially, you know, just, you know, just for the business and, uh, you know, I appreciate you reaching out. Oh, no problem. And, you know, before we really get into everything, I just want to first thank you for your service because, um, you know, without you, our safety obviously would, wouldn't be around. So um, for anybody who's tuned in and listening, um, John used to be a Marine previously. So um, I just want to thank you for, you know, your service and for what you did to protect all of us. I I uh, thank you. I just uh, I I I'm sorry. I did I didn't expect that. To, I kind of threw me to the left there. I didn't expect that to be brought up. But um, uh, it's 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 been a long time. I've been out of the service for uh, almost uh, 14 years now, and it's 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 uh it's not like I didn't cook in the military or anything like that. That's not what really got me into uh, into cooking. Um, that was just something that I I did when I was 18, and uh, well. Uh, Chef, nothing, nothing personal, but you're a Marine. So I am the son of a Marine. I understand you are always a Marine. It may have been 18 years ago. You're still a Marine. Yeah, you know, uh, that's a very, that's, very common, uh, a very, very common quote. They say, uh, "Once a Marine, always a Marine." So why reenlist? Yeah, yeah my father, my father was one, and he was one till the day he died. So I understand. <laughs> Thank you for your service, Semper Fi. All right, thank you so much. I mean, it probably also like gave you a very like regimented way, of, like you know, making sure that everything's like taken care of, and you know that you cross all your your T's and dot your I's kind of thing, um, as far as cooking is concerned. Um, but what ins and what inspired you once you got back out of service? Well, honestly, uh, the first thing that I did when I got back out of service is my, my dad said, look, you know, like, don't rush to find a job, take a minute to adjust. And initially what I did is I was thinking about training to be a farmer's good income and, uh, you know, you know, steady job. But, uh, I, I got in there and what you do is you start off as a pharmacy technician and that job is essentially, you just count pills and you, you're just a clerk. So, and I saw what the pharmacist doing in retail like i worked for cbs and i worked for walgreens i hope i'm allowed to say those things without being sued but um uh but both of those companies it, it's 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 the same job with a different name tag um but uh what got me into cooking is uh you know like it came down to like you know uh just thinking about like 
the translation from the Marine Corps to being a chef is that it did make me like the military really teaches you attention to detail. And I became obsessed with that when I started cooking. And when I saw cooks that were just kind of clumsy, it really made me annoyed. Like one of those things where I sort of very quickly found myself in charge of people. And like as a chef, for people who have been in the kitchen, you know, the last thing you really learn how to do is delegate. But it, but it ultimately made me a, a, a better cook and a better chef. And uh, like looking at plates, I love like little details, but you know, it's all about, it's about flavor, but like the, like the little things about how you eat you know, how you eat your food, uh, you know, cause like, you know, as a, as a chef, we have a tendency to, I guess the best way of putting it is like, you end up putting too much stuff on the plate and you end up with a plate that's three dishes and you got to learn how to edit yourself. So, it, you know, and, and I'm sure that like throughout, you know, all the different like executive chefs and, and big name chefs that you know you've worked for because you have worked under some big names including you know um will be byob's uh <laughs> sorry he's here he's very detail oriented and like uh the reason that it's uh working for him is good is because he's got so much like three michelin star experience so he's like basically the way he explained it to me is like there's a lot of stuff that you're going to see that's really inspiring but you're probably not going to be able to use it because like, you know, you don't have 20 people in your crew. You don't have like $2 million kitchens with all kinds of, you know, expensive equipment. So, you know, you do what you can with what you have, but you learn how to, you know, and, and, you know, I guess I learned through him and uh, he's, he's always been uh, like, you know, when I was starting out in Philadelphia, uh, his door was like, you know, like I was allowed to come in and stage and he always welcomed me. And, and I, I was, happy to work under him. And when I found out that he needed a sous chef, I said, I want that job. And he said, yeah, come on. So when you say that you were allowed to come in and like work under him, was that prior to um, you entering into his his kitchen? Because I know that you did work um, at uh, several other places as well um, prior to that with Rex 1516 and um, Micah and, uh, and whatnot. So, you know, I, I, I don't know if you studied initially at any kind of particular culinary institution or if you kind of dove right back right into um, the culinary world as, as a line cook. Well, uh, I, I, I'll try to answer all these questions as quickly as possible. Um, uh, so my current, uh, my wife now, who was at the time my girlfriend, she encouraged me to, in, uh, to enroll in culinary school and in Philadelphia, probably the most prominent one is Walnut Hill College. Um, and so I enrolled in Walnut Hill College in 2011. And uh, I got it. I met the former uh, culinary director, uh, Justin Swain. And uh, we, we attended school together. And he at the time had just been recently promoted to executive chef at Rex 1516. And uh, it's just worth mentioning, uh, Rex has actually changed a little bit. Uh, they moved to uh, their Rex at the Royal now. They're only a few doors down from where they were, but they're a much bigger establishment doing definitely a different thing now. Um, uh, so I got a job there as a line cook and he offered me the job and I went in and you do something called a stage for people who don't know what that is. That means like you go in and you, you work. It's a, it's a working interview. And uh, you know, I, I worked there for quite a, you know, about a year. And then after that, I left 
because uh, I was living in the suburbs at the time and the commute was just like killing me. So I ended up back at Rex as the chef de cuisine later on. But in the interim, I met Chris Kears through uh, a mutual friend and uh, she got me into the kitchen. And um, I went and did a night and he was like, hey, anytime you want to come back, you can. So I came back as much as I could. Oh, that's and, very cool. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm being a little bit long winded. No, no, you're fine. Um, I think it's very cool that that's how you kind of got tied into that. And then um, so you did, you know, end up becoming one of the, the chef du, du cuisine, right? At B Will BYO. I was chef de cuisine at Rex. As far as. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I, at one point I was, yeah, I was the sous chef at Will when uh, Chris asked me. Um, uh, well, he didn't ask me, but he, uh, a mutual friend of Chris and mine, he put in a good word for me and said, like, hey, if you're looking for a new sous chef, you know, if you remember John. And uh, we were, I guess, out of contact for a while. Like, uh, and I reached out to him and it, 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 uh, uh, I got hired. So. Well, that's good. And then you worked alongside of your current partner, Mike. Um, and that's, you know, how, how did, how did the two of you working together come together to open up your current restaurant, which is 1911? Uh, Michael and I were always like really close friends. Actually, I've only known Mike for about four years now. Mike came to work, I want to say winter 2018 at Will. We just started hanging out a lot and uh, uh, we, we work really well together. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he's, he's very good at what he does. And uh, he's got like a, you know, he's got a different background than I do. So he's got like uh, different opinions and different things to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's, he's really talented. He worked for Mark Vetri at one point. We uh, saw that the lease was available on the space and we said, do you want to just go for it? And kind of like overnight, we just did. So then you opened up, and it's only been a little while since you you opened your doors. Um, and it um, a little bit since you opened up your doors, you had opened like I think initially right after the the shutdowns had had ended. Um, yeah, uh, we opened up February twenty fifth. Okay. Were you nervous at all when you opened up because of all you know everything that had been going on, and you know. Were you excited? Because I, I know you guys were well-received. I'm like, here's the thing. We uh, we were definitely nervous. We were definitely excited. It's still a little bit nerve-wracking to own a small business. I mean, it's it's also the summertime. It's not it's not really super busy right now. But, um, uh, you know, like, it, it's just, you know, like day-to-day -day business, like handing the finances, just trying to do things responsibly. And uh, for somebody like me, this is my first time owning a business, and there's a lot of lessons learned in the process for lack of a better phrase. Now, you also are offering in on your menu. I know that, you know, obviously there's different things that go into owning the business, um, but you offer a lot of fresh ingredients that are seasonal. Um, and right now your summer menu is very like light and fresh. Like it obviously is well balanced with, you know, the nutrients that you put in. Um, and I'm looking at I was like looking online at, at your menu and I was like, I think I would want to go in there and order everything. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing. I'm like, we're, we're not like, uh, we're just a BYOB. We're not like super high price or anything like that. It doesn't cost a fortune. Uh, you know, like we, we, we wanted to make it as neighborhood as possible, you know, maybe a destination spot, but I mean, like, you know, I, it, it, it's not one of those things where I want you to have to save up to come in. 
So, uh, um, yeah, I'm like, like and, and we try to keep things as balanced as possible. And we, uh, uh, yeah, we try to change it up as often as we can. And uh, sometimes, you know, you got to take a look at what sells, what doesn't. And uh, sometimes you can make small changes here and there without revamping the entire menu. Yeah. Now, you also at your location have collaborated with another chef um, who is bringing on like a, her pasta, or it was actually a pasta that was with a twist from one of your former um, employee, employers. Um, but you guys are doing that to benefit uh, Mama Mare, if I remember correctly, for um, Chef Jeannie. And, um, so how did you come about to bring her on? Like, did she reach out to you guys or did you, you know, find, find out through the grapevine what's been going on in her life and reached out to her? We actually just recently hired in the few, last few months uh, a PR representative uh, who knows Janine. And uh, he, he made the introduction. So we met her at her place and uh, we sort of began to design like, uh, this is actually really Michael's go. I'm sorry that he's not here. Um, uh, uh, he designed a pasta dish based on uh, some of the places that he worked previously, one of them being Zeppeli. And, uh, and uh, he, he uh, did a great job. It's been selling really well. And uh, it's, uh, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know it's, it's for something good, so. Yeah, it's definitely for something good. And for if you're tuning in or you know watching this video, um, it's for Chef Jeannie Bruno, who and they made um, a spinach gnocchetto, gnocchetti. I believe it's gnocchetti. I'm I'm known for mess, messing up pronunciation, so it's fine. Um, and it benefits benefits um, individuals who are suffering from breast cancer or who have been afflicted with breast cancer and are trying to beat it. So if you are looking to help benefit a woman's foundation for that, obviously you can eat a delicious meal at 1911. And, uh, but back to you guys, I wanted to also talk about your brunch menu really fast before we have to let you go in a few minutes. Uh, as far as the brunch menu goes, uh, the brunch is uh, the most recent addition, and uh, we weren't really getting a, a lot of Sunday night dinner customers. In fact, uh, uh, we were getting basically none. So we decided let's do brunch because there's a lot of foot traffic like late morning on East Bastion, and uh, we just came up. I don't really think it's like really. It, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's you know there's some vegetables on it, and uh, you know of course you can get eggs, and we offer enough sides to where if you want to just build your own breakfast. And we have a, a burger on the menu now. We also have a vegetarian Reuben that we uh, designed. It's been picking up a little bit. And uh, I'm glad to see that people are coming in. I want to thank you guys for your time today. Absolutely. And I want to also mention, because I mean, you're in like, hands down your entire brunch menu. I would I would just order the entire list because everything I'm, on it. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, we just tried to, we, we tried to keep it approachable. You don't want to make brunch complicated. Nobody's coming out for like, you know, like crazy ingredients for the brunch. It, you know, brunch is supposed to be like, you know, get up. You wake up a little bit late, you go out, maybe have a bottle of bubbles, offer orange juice service, you get some fatty food, and then you go home and you're like, you know what, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> That's exactly what brunch is for. <laughs> so, you, know, you go out with your friends, you take a walk down the street, you're like, you know, I probably had one too many to drink, but who cares? I ask you one thing, because you have it on both your brunch menu and your dinner menu, which is the uh, the port, the porgy on sourdough, or yeah, porgy on sourdough. Yeah, uh, uh, 
what we did with the Corgi is uh, it, it's we, we kind of just treated it like box. We just cured it, and uh, it's 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 actually a little bit easier because one, uh, it, it's a pretty thin fillet, so it doesn't. It's not like a it's not like a piece of salmon. It doesn't take like a three day cure. Uh, it takes like maybe like eight ten hours. Okay. And um, uh, just you know, uh, Mike bakes the bread in the house, and uh, we just made some sourdough, toasted up with butter, and then we made a dill aioli for it. And then we just give it a little bit of garnish with some, uh, you know, whatever we got from the garden. So radishes, possibly, you know, some spring onions. And uh, it just, you know, it just goes out. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. But uh, it's, been, it's been pretty successful, actually. That's great. Now, um, for all listeners out there who want to indulge in some of your, your you know, very tightly, like, conf- uh curated men- menu but like very delicious sounding uh where can they find you and what are your social media tags okay uh so like we can be found we're at uh, 1911 east Pashyunk avenue in south philadelphia and uh we're like uh, you know uh we're closer to broad than uh you know than some of the other places we're kind of at one end of it um uh as far as our instagram tag goes uh we're just simply uh, 1911 uh, underscore PHL on Instagram. And uh, we also have a Facebook. And uh, like, we're not on like Twitter or anything like that. Um, you know, if, if you Google us, you know, like the information will come, come up right away. And, uh, you know, I, you know, anybody that, can, you know, that, that wants to come in, of course, you know, everybody's welcome. This is not like a, like, you know, we're not like super snobby or anything like that. We're just, we're just, uh, we're just a small restaurant in South Philly trying to keep our heads above water. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. And I look forward to tasting that whipped ricotta um, toast that you have as well. Uh, so thank you. And I wish you luck and I will see you soon. No, this has been a really nice experience. And once again, I just want to thank you and have a good one. And, uh, you know, enjoy the rest of the week. And uh, it actually looks like it's going to storm out here. So as well here. So have a, have a wonderful rest of your day. And it was great having you on. All right. Thank you very much. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time and FM station in New York, send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadime at yahoo.com. It is such an honor to introduce our next guest to Food Farms and Chefs. Two-time James Beard Award-winning chef, well, actually, best Mid-Atlantic chef and best cookbook, single topic. Been won numerous awards for both his love of Cuban food and his inspiration in bringing Nuevo Latino to the Mid-Atlantic region and to North America, per se, in, in you know, what he has accomplished for his efforts to educate and bring the flavors of Cuba to the United States. It is a great honor, as I said, to introduce Guillermo Pernod, 
the chef partner of Cuba Libre Restaurant, or restaurants, as we know, they have many. Uh, Guillermo, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Great honor to have you here. I am a huge fan of both the restaurant and your work. Well, thank you very much for the kind introduction. Thank you again. Glad, glad, glad to be here. Well, it is our honor, and, and there's so much we could talk about. Um, one of the things that really I love about you, and, and we have a mutual friend I worked for many years for Larry Cohen. Sure. Um, so, you know, I and, and I love what Larry and Barry have done through the years. And with your effort, uh, you know, in, in really making Cuba Libra a model for, you know, Cuban cuisine and Cuban food, um, you know, it's just been a, a really fun journey to watch. It's been fun. Absolutely. It's been, uh, I think, 18 years so far or oh, 20 yes, years. Yes, Close well, to 20 years. yes. So, but it's been fun doing it. A lot of hard work and the five locations that we have right now, they're doing very well and people are enjoying our food and drinks. Well, let's start a little bit about you. Um, you know, you are a native of Argentina, I believe. Your wife is Cuban. Um, what got you into cooking? What got you behind the stove and really launched your career? <laughs> It's a long story, but basically, I used to work for the Four Seasons as the front of the house for uh, many years, and I just wanted to do something different. So Lucia and I uh, took over a, a bed and breakfast in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, Sweetwater Farm, and I started cooking for the guests on the weekends, uh, Saturday night, actually, for up to 12 guests, blind menu. I will do whatever I wanted. And all of a sudden, things are starting to happen. Uh, little in of the mid-Atlantics, get away for gourmets. I started writing about our food and the, and the inn. And I said, oh, my God, I can do it for a living. <laughs> so uh, after a few years, we left Sweetwater Farm, and I pursued uh, a professional kitchen after that. So that's, that's a very, very small very very short story, but it's a long. It's been a long a long way to, to get where we are, right? Oh, absolutely. You started as the executive chef at Cuba Libre uh, in the fall of two thousand six, right around there. Um, but one of the things that you did in your desire to really push yourself and learn more and more and more. Uh, you just you launched yourself on a mission in 2010 to really discover the evolution of Cuban cuisine. Tell us a little bit about what you did to you know educate yourself about what you learned and really about where Cuban cuisine is today. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I never been to Cuban before and. Um, Neither my wife, even if she was born in Cuba, but she left when she was very young. So I only learned Cuban cuisine from whatever I read and from my mother-in-law. Um, so I had an opportunity to go with my sister-in-law to Cuba, which is also the first time she went back. And I discovered 
uh, a lot of other things. The, the, the idiosyncrasy of the Cuban uh, people and the cuisine was something that I never understood. And I, I, I got to know that. But that was the first threat. Then we said, what, what, why don't we do tours to Americans uh, uh, through Havana, culinary tours? So now I took a different, besides learning the cuisine myself and working with the chefs on different, on different paladares, I also introduced these travelers that were coming with me what Cuban cuisine really was, which is, it's a misconception. First of all, that Cuban cuisine is spicy, which is not. Secondly, they think Cuban cuisine is very limited. Rice, beans, picadillo, and pork. It's a lot more than that than Cuban cuisine. But it's not just the, the food of Havana. It's also the food of the east part of the island and the west part of the island and the south part of the island. Things just change tremendously. Uh, so we learn as we travel together through these culinary tours, which I think we did like 12 or so. And it, it, was, it was amazing. So then I said, well, let's write a book about these paladares that everybody's talking about, but nobody knows much about it. So I wrote that cookbook uh, that just came out a couple of years ago. So that is what I discovered. And that was my mission to educate myself and the, the people that were traveling with me, what Cuban food was or is actually. Well, you're very humble because I believe you did a little bit more than that. Through yeah. our relationship as a chef partner, Cuba Libra, you also started to bring visiting chefs or people into the kitchens here and you know expand and do small dinners as well. Tell us a little bit about that whole experience, which really became the, you know, basics for the book Cuba Cooks. That's correct. That, well, the, the hardest part of, of that part of the, of the mission, of the Cuban mission, let's call it, was getting them visas to travel to the United States. So I talked to the American uh, in interest section, which is by then was not a consulate yet. And I met with uh, several people and I presented my plan and my vision. And they were very, very uh, accommodating and welcoming to the idea. So we, we, we were able to get visas for five chefs, which they came to the United States. Um, we cooked in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. The first one was in Washington, D.C. And NBC, CNN, I mean, everybody was a guest. It was amazing and very welcoming. The fact was that, that those people never knew that that was Cuban food. And that was, was the most uh, interesting part of, of, of the whole project. I educated many, many people what we what the chefs were really doing. Very avant-garde food, very modern food, very uh, out of the frame, what you think is Cuba, uh, cumin and sour orange. It's a lot more than that. And it was very interesting. 
and very, very humbling feeling that I enjoy doing. So among your many, many, many uh, accomplishments and acknowledgements and rewards, you have, you know, been Philadelphia Magazine, Voters, Gourmet. Uh, I love that you were Esquire's uh, Chef of the Year at one point in time. As I said, James Beard, award-winning chef, Mid-Atlantic region, and also for your cookbook, which we haven't talked about yet, that that particular book. Uh, One of the things that I really love about you is your involvement with the James Beard Foundation in the Ameri- uh, American Chess Corps, a State Department partnership that you're involved with. Tell us a little bit about that and the work that, that they were doing through that partnership and you know, really laying the groundwork for future relationships. Well, uh, Hillary Clinton, as when she was Secretary of State, uh, invited uh, 50 chefs to join her at, as a chef corp for the State Department. And of course, I have to say yes, I, w- was, very, I was very honored to, to be part of that. So my first, my first and only mission at this point was in Tegucigalpa in Honduras. And what I, I wanted to do, uh, since the Honduras diet is very poor, and it consists of beans and tortilla, basically, and very, very limited uh, variety of food. So I said that I will go to two culinary schools and I will teach them how to cook items that they were within five kilometers from where the school was. And we went hunting for food to different farms, no more than five kilometers away. And we came back to the both kitchens, both times, and we prepared a dinner for to 25 to 30 students. But the way we did them is instead of serving it on a plate, we, I set up a long table uh, and I put this parchment paper kind of thing and we all cooked, but then there were different tasting uh, stations that you can uh, walk through and taste the food that you made as far from the closest to the furthest away from where you were standing with different sauces and different cheeses and etc. It was amazing. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. And also work with a, a house from uh, women that they were pregnant and they needed a better diet. So I taught them how to use the leftovers of the vegetables. For example, they will use the beets, but they will never use the leaves. They will be thrown away. So now we start making uh, tortillas that they were stuffed with these beets and different uh, types of beans, etc. So, which was what they needed on the diet while they were pregnant. So I worked with them for five days and I really enjoyed that, that moment with Entegucigalpa. Um, that's the, and eventually, uh, I got called for another one, but I wasn't able to make it. And then the, the administration, uh, of Obama was dissolved and the whole corp was dissolved. 
but uh, we, they started to uh, reform it again with the Biden administration. I'm looking forward for them to call me and be able to join in another trip and another cultural exchange. Well, thank you for what you're doing. I, obviously, making a difference in the world and a difference that, that needs to be made. And, you know, the one common language, the one common ground that we all share is our food and our love of eating and our love of breaking bread with our fellow man. And, you know, you really Absolutely. set the tone for that and what you're doing. Absolutely. So... You've been at the helm of Cuba Libra now for a lot of years. Uh, Philadelphia, Orlando, Washington, uh, Atlantic City, and now Fort Lauderdale as well. You know, tell us how your vision and, and how the restaurant has changed and, and what you style that, you know, or what changes have you brought, you know, in the number of years you've been there? Well... <laughs> It's been many years and many changes. And as we evolve in different cities, we have to adapt to, to the community that lives in that city. So my first change uh, was in Atlantic City uh, when, as we know, we are in the Tropicana Casino. And as you know, casinos are very well known for steak restaurants. So and Cubans, they cook a lot with charcoal because in some places, places like Trinidad, there is no natural gas. There is no LP gas. So what the stoves are made with charcoal. And if you go to the farms in different parts of the country and they have little uh, paladares in the middle of the farm, you see everything is made with charcoal. There is no gas or some people don't even have electricity. So, so I said, why don't we open a grill, a wood and charcoal uh, burning grill, and we can introduce more um, flavors to our cuisine. And so that was one of the changes that we have done. We repeated that in Fort Lauderdale. That was very interesting. And of course we expanded. Now we're talking about a, a, a city that is very touristy and it's also uh, on the sea, on the coast. So we have to introduce fish that is on the grill, octopus, and, and because it's a Latin and South American influence being so close to Miami, uh, so we have to introduce more uh, native Cuban food, but they have to be made on the grill. So there, that was the second major change that we have made in the last seven years, eight years. But most of all, I wanted to make sure that we stay, we divided the menu, that we divide the menu in two different ways, two different parts. We put the traditional food, Cuban food, and then we put the nuevo or the new avant-garde Cuban food. So people will understand that that there are two sides to, to, the, to, the, to the culinary world of, of Cuba. And that was one of the major uh, changes that I have made in the, in the concept of Cuba, Cuba Libre. Jeff, I can spend hours talking to you. I, I am, as I said, a huge fan. Um, 
you know, I have eaten in your restaurant many times. You know, I can't say enough about the overall experience from cocktails <laughs> to service to everything. Thank you. At Cuba Libra. Uh, if people want to find out more, we can simply, you know, tell them to go to Cuba Libra, do a Google search. You can find all their social media tags. But if people wanted to find out about more about your projects, is there social media that they could just follow you? Uh, well, uh, I do not have a personal website. And the restaurant on, on the restaurant, kubalibrestaurant.com, you can find a, a part that it talks about different things that we are doing. The selling of the book, uh, maybe more well, trips has been canceled since uh, COVID started because Cuban is, is not really open yet. Uh, fully open and and uh, so you can find anything else that we're doing in that uh, in our website chef thank you so much for your time i look forward to bringing you back on to food farms and chefs uh look forward to my next dining experience at cuba libra and uh again thank you thank you for all you do in promoting you know Cuban cuisine and hospitality throughout the world. Well, thank you very much. Was, I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. You can find Chef Gene Blum at ibfoodie2 across all social media or email him at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. And you can find Amaris Pollock at arpollockus across social media or email her at arpollockus at gmail.com to become a sponsor of the show or become a guest to Food Farms and Chefs. And we're back. Amaris Pollock, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Hi, everyone. So I want to welcome the friend of our show, Lori White, who has so many credentials, I might mess them all up, but um, she is one of the co-owners of Zed's Bottle Brewing that's in Marlton, New Jersey, but she's also the chapter leader of Pink Boots Society in New Jersey, and also on the executive board of New Jersey Brewers Association in New Jersey. So Lori, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Um, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That introduction makes me tired. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're in it, you're in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just want to just start out by, you know, letting everybody know, like, if you want a really approachable beer, you can go to Zed's Brewery um, in Marlton, New Jersey. You brew up some of, like, you're constantly brewing some new things. Um, and obviously, you have staples that are on tap at all times, like the Cooper Cream Ale. Um, yeah, Cooper Cream Ale, yeah. Yep. And, um, and, you know, you also brew up, like, uh, constantly changing things. So right now, what are some of the things that you have on tap? Sure. So uh, we have six core beers that we always keep on because, you know, once you get good at something, you want to keep doing it for a while. Uh, but then you know how craft beer drinkers are. We always want what's new and fresh and novel and, you know, what's of the moment. 
So out of the rest of the 24 taps, we try and keep a good rotation going. So there are my beloved seltzers, which are seasonal flavors. We keep four of those on draft. Now, um, to keep up with the trend, sours are just all the rage. Everybody wants a nice tart uh, beer, and they really do play well for summer, so it's a nice uh, seasonal trend. So we have two taps dedicated for sours right now. Um, you got to have a couple IPAs because this is America and we, we like our beer with a lot of hops in it. So we have a couple of those on too. And then we just have a nice, um, maybe like six or seven other taps dedicated to a lot of rotationals that allow us to play with different styles of beer, different regions. We have some German beers, we have some French beers, some Belgian beers, uh, and then just, you know, New Jersey beers, which are really good too. So we just released our New Jersey blueberry beer because come on, when you brew in New Jersey, you got to make a blueberry beer, right? Um, so made from from blueberries from Hamilton, of course, and um, and that's been really fun to have on for the summer. We have some some Belgian beers, and we're gonna release in a couple of weeks our Czech pilsner. Pilsner is a really light, crisp, um, easy, easy drinker, and that'll be nice to kind of get us finished through the summer and then into some of the bigger beers that you tend to drink in the fall and the winter. Exactly. And I, I have to say, like, I, it's probably tapped out already, but you had the blackberry, I think it was the blackberry um, mm. sour, like throwing back to that trend. Um, yeah. And I want to say that you balanced it so well. Like, because okay. yeah. they're black. Oh. Actually, very recently had other blackberry sours from other breweries, which I won't mention. And it was almost like it was too sour, and some of them were too tart. And like, you balanced yours where it was very like it wasn't too sour it like it, it was easily you know drinkable um it didn't pucker oh, me up you. yeah so I, I want to yeah. just give you accolades for that oh thank you you know sours are sours are really tricky because they are you know, traditionally they were made by just wild fermenting the beer right you you let the the cask open and whatever kind of the wild yeasts and things that got in there to give it that sour flavor got in there. And now to a modern brewer that like, you know, makes you clutch the pearls and gasp like, Oh my God. But, um, but you know, we come from a long line of, of brewing tradition where sours were an important part of the heritage that got us here. So when you make a sour, you kind of have to wait, you know, Jeff, my husband and head brewer, um, he makes the base beers and, you know, he, I wait and see what he gives me and, and how it sort of levels out. And then I get to play with it and add, you know, fruits and herbs and spices and all those other fun things. So that, yeah, it's blueberry, uh, blackberry with rose. We use rose hips and I use a little rose essence, which sounds kind of weird and maybe too frilly for a beer, but it really balances out that tart blackberry and, um, and like you said, makes for a nice balanced beer. So I really like it. I'll be sad when it goes, but we've got two new sours coming up behind it that are exciting too. So I'll sneak, I'll sneak one, which is our passion fruit tangerine sour. Um, and the other one is still in the works. So I'm not going to be able to talk too much about what that one is yet, but hopefully it'll be a good replacement for that blackberry. Yes. Now um, I'm going to jump over to what's been going, because, you know, what's been brewing, haha, um, <laughs> in New Jersey in general, um, you know, not to like do a terrible segue, but do a terrible segue, um, because you, you are facing, and you are one of the many brewers that are facing this, because obviously you're on the executive board of New Jersey uh, Brewers Association, but, um, 
you guys are right now fighting the legislation that's happening and it 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 was implemented back in i believe 2018 um and then it kind of got put on the back burner for a quarantine um and july 1st the the new jersey legislation with the um with this new special law that's been yeah yeah implemented brought it back so you've been fighting that so why don't you tell us a little bit about what's been happening um and how that is impacting you Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I am on the board of the New Jersey Brewers Association. We represent about 50 of the generally the smaller breweries in the state of New Jersey. We have a couple of the big guys on our roster too, but um, and we're the ones that are primarily impacted by this special ruling. So, um, as you pointed out, back in 2018, 2019 was when this first idea kind of cropped up. It actually cropped up earlier than that too. It, this has been trying to raise its little ugly head. Um, several times in the state of New Jersey, and we have a lot of great support from our fan base and our our customers and just supporters who want to see the craft brewing business grow in New Jersey. So uh, this latest edition is is very much the same thing that's been popping up uh, over and over again. And um, this latest version of Whack-A-Mole is um, came about in at the beginning of July. So the director of the ABC, who gets to make all the rules about alcohol in New Jersey, um, came up with this special ruling that creates a lot of, um, let's just say, hoops and special conditions for breweries that, to have to comply with in the way we get to serve our beer to our customers. So um, it can be something as ridiculous as the size of the TVs that we have on the wall to the kinds of TV shows we're allowed to show to the kinds of um, music we're allowed to play, whether it's um, you know electronically amplified or acoustic or whether it's, I mean, it just, it has a lot of really, you know, silly details in there um, to kind of keep breweries on our toes. And it's really designed to, unfortunately make the brewery experience less enjoyable for the consumer is really what it boils down to. Um, so they, they want us to, you know, serve you a glass of beer and send you on your way and not create a, a enjoyable atmosphere for you to sit back and relax and really enjoy the, the spaces that we've created and the beers that we've created, which is unfortunate because as you know, and I know many of your listeners know, um, brewery culture is a really cool thing and it's very different than bar culture or even winery culture or, you know, it's a thing that has been created. It's, it's not unique to New Jersey. You know, we have, you know, successful breweries all around the country. Um, but I guess maybe we were a little too successful in New Jersey. I, I, I don't know why they, you know, think that this is something that New Jersey breweries uh, should have to um, deal with as opposed to others. So it's, it's affecting us in New Jersey in a really uh, interesting way. And we're hopeful that we'll be able to have the, the, the other parts of the government, the New Jersey legislature or the governor's office perhaps intercede on our behalf to try and get some of this, uh, taken away just yeah. for the purpose of helping to grow New Jersey breweries and, and, you know, continue with brewery culture, which we all, I think most of us, we all love, um, to create a more enjoyable atmosphere for us to, to drink beers. in. so, yeah. Um, I mean, because I do know that some of the things that like some more of the things that they, that they have under the special ruling that kind of 
muzzles the, the breweries in New Jersey, um, it really kind of just negatively impacts you is they put down rules where, you know, you're only allowed certain, like a certain amount. Um, it's I actually wrote it down. There's only 12 off premise events and 25 yeah. on-site activities and 52 private uh, private parties that you're allowed to attend, host, or be involved with um, in, a, I believe, a year's time, which is not a yeah. lot. And if you consider like how much breweries do on a regular basis without being, you know, limited to that, like, you know, think about it. Think about when, our, for our listeners out there, how often you're like, I'm going to go out to a brewery, let's see what food trucks, you know, vending at it. And I'll just, so for our listeners out there who attend, who like going to breweries, you know, and, and attending events and, you know, t- going to tastings, um, there's so much that they can do that now they're being limited to, um, as, and as I said, like, it's almost like you guys are going to kind of be muzzled, like not allowed to do, do things that are beneficial you know, not, not only to like yourselves and the food trucks that might be vending or, you know, the parties that you're hosting, but it's also, you know, limiting the, the fun that we can have as, you know, visitors to your breweries. Um, Yeah. And we like to, you know, we, we like to, because we tend to be smaller businesses, we partner a lot with other businesses in the community. We support like you said, local food trucks or other small restaurants or, um, you know, other events like we, we would like to partner with yoga studios sometimes to do like yoga and a beer or just other things to create a, a fun, welcoming environment. You know, you know, in our COVID world where there's, you know, not as many places as we not as many fun activities as we like to do. Um, people want to get back outside now. They want to go back and do things and combining that with, you know, getting spaces for people to come together is is a difficult thing sometimes. So cutting off breweries from being part of the community and being able to offer, you know, I mean, yes, maybe trivia night spaces for small musicians to come and, and, you know, play in the corner or or for, you know, other bands to be entertained. Um, There's, there's a lot of things that we do as breweries that help us integrate into our community. Um, that are going to be just more challenging now to try and schedule around them. Things like, that. like, do I have to say no when one of my customers wants to host a birthday party because I might have, you know, other things in my calendar? Um, it just, it, it creates a burden on us that makes it difficult to operate in this, in, you know, in this environment. As a small business, it's hard for me to sort of plan around those kinds of things when I know, uh, you know, I'm up against a limit. So, yeah. And we, and we want to be part of our communities. We want to grow as best we can. We want to, you know, I want to, I want to have all the fun things. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, like, you know, here at Zed, we have a really great pizza place that's right near us. So we don't necessarily do food trucks here, but every brewery has different situations, right? So maybe you do want to have a food truck, or maybe you do want to have a trivia night, or maybe you do want to do things that will help you be part of your community and help you grow your customer base. And so we really feel like, this is unfair to breweries and something that we would like to see changed. So we have, there are lots of things that listeners can do. There are petitions out there. If you go to njbeer.org, uh, you'll be able to see ways that you can make your voice heard. There are ways you can reach out to your legislators, ways you can reach out to the governor's office. Um, and our, our community allies are really our biggest 
supporters and they've made a lot of noise. They've done great things. They've helped us um, deal with this the other two times that it's cropped up. So hopefully we'll 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 find a way to get this one uh, resolved again and, and, and back to business of making beer and being part of our community and having good taproom spaces for people to enjoy it. Exactly. Thank you. And within with our like last um, few moments that we have you on for today, and we will for our listeners out there, we're going to stay stay with this uh, situation um, and bring Lori back on for updates as far as what's going on with this um, special legislation. Um, but before you know, we have to round you up and and have you unfortunately say good goodbye for the, the evening. Um, what are some of the things right now that, you know, we can look forward to within that limited window of opportunity um, at Zeds? Yeah, so, you know, we're going to continue to do what we've been doing all along, which is to try and, you know, be, participate as much as we can and, and do as much as we can. Um, we're excited we're going to be at uh, a really great beer festival in South Jersey that really focuses on South Jersey breweries. It's called the Summer Swelter. Uh, it's in Pittman in, on August 13th. Um, so that's going to be really fun. Um, like I said, there are still ways that we can go out and, and be part of the community and, and meet our craft beer aficionados and, and interact with them. Um, so we're looking forward to that event in August coming up. We have, you know, our, our new releases coming up. We're going to continue to make great beer. We're going to continue to put it out there. We may be limited in terms of what we can do in terms of other activities until we can get this resolved, but we'll continue to, you know, try and offer the most welcoming atmosphere we can in our tap rooms. Maybe there won't be as many singing nights. Maybe there won't be as many, you know, like other activity nights or promotions, but we will try and make the best use of what we've been given and, and we'll fight to see if we can, you know, help to get things loosened up a little bit. And in the meantime, maybe I'll come visit you and bring you some games that I'll just accidentally leave there so that, you know, <laughs> should people <laughs> should people want to uh, come and play games, they're free to do so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, look, we're going to continue to be, whether whether we have to, you know, curb our activities maybe for a while until we can get this handled, we're going to continue to be the welcoming atmospheres that people know we are. But, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of criticism that the reason that we need all these activities is because we just want to be bars. But if you've been to a brewery and you've been to a bar, you really know the difference and they're not the same thing. So we want to continue to have our brewery culture and our brewery community which does involve, you know, sometimes other activities besides just sitting there and drinking a beer, um, but but still creates a, a really welcoming environment that's family-friendly and, you know, and for us, especially at Zed's, approachable for people who, you know, maybe aren't too sure about this whole craft beer thing. We, we want to create a welcoming place where you can come and explore and discover beers that are really approachable and really delicious and will sort of help uh, explain the whole craft beer culture to you and make you part of this really fun family. Because you're missing exactly. out. Exactly. And I mean, you can literally bring the entire family because you also allow, um, allow dogs there. So, Jean, um, you can bring your new baby with you uh, to, to the brewery. <laughs> I can bring my new baby. I, that, that would be wonderful, Somebody- except 
she's very shy around men. Remember that. So. Oh. Mm. Well, you know, we have a lot of really lovely ladies at said, so we, we can take care of her and pamper her. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> said on a comment that I think it, that they they were nicer to their dog than they were to them. <laughs> I know, and when you walk right in, you like you walk past all of like the dog toys and the dog uh, bowls and, and hanker um, handkerchiefs and stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> but our, um, our, I, our servers are very dog obsessed. I will say, yes, <laughs> we're lucky in Burlington County where it's not an issue for us. So thank goodness. Um, but Lori, thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Uh, let our listeners know what your tags are online and where to find you. Yeah, we are everywhere. We are Drink Beds because that's what we want you to do. So D R I N K B E D S on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, all of the everywhere is Drink Beds. Please check us out. Please do come and drink some Zed. I will definitely keep you posted on all because we're going to be fighting this good fight all through the summer, all through the fall. Hopefully, you know, as long as it takes to, to, to keep New Jersey beer safe and growing and, and able to thrive, we're going to keep up the good fight. So I will continue to keep you posted. All right. PhillyRestaurantReviews.com for all information about the show. Amherst Pollock. You can find me across social media at ARPollockus or email me at ARPollockus at gmail.com if you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor of the show. Chef Gene. You can find me at IBCD2 or at Wom across social media, or you can email me directly at IBCD2 at yahoo.com. That's I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E, the number two, at yahoo.com. Have a great week, everybody. Eat, eat well. We'll see you next week. 